The year was 1966. It was the middle of the night when Carl and Barbara Sherbeck, with their five children, landed in Abu Dhabi, in what was then the Trucial States, on an 18-seater passenger aircraft from Bahrain. They landed on a dirt runway and walked into an airport terminal smaller than this room that we are now in. There were not many buildings, nor were there many roads. The main causeway between the island and the mainland was a bunch of large stones piled one on top of the other. There was, however, in Abu Dhabi, a Spinney's store, two banks, and hardly any development by the Abu Dhabi Corniche. Soon after landing in Abu Dhabi, the Sherbeks traveled 180 kilometers to Alain to join the team mission, the Evangelical Alliance mission, as support staff for the Oasis Hospital. Carl supervised maintenance and construction for the newly built hospital while Barbara registered patients and helped with bookkeeping. They both worked hard to attain fluency in the Arabic language, specifically the local Bedouin dialect. The Sherbeks were driven by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 10, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. As they had prepared to serve the Lord overseas, they desired to serve in a pioneer context where Christ was not named. They were motivated by what Paul said in Romans 15, 20 and 21. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been already named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The Oasis Mission Hospital in Alain, at which the Sherbeks had come to serve, had been established in the early 1960s as a pioneer work by evangelical missionaries, Pat and Marianne Kennedy. They were doctors. The Kennedys had moved to Alain in 1960 on the invitation of His Highness Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan al-Nahyan and his brother Sheikh Shakbut with the goal of bringing modern medicine and healthcare to this region. Prior to their arrival, the infant mortality rate was alarmingly high. 50% of newborns died. And one in three mothers died in childbirth or shortly thereafter. The infant mortality rate, combined with other diseases, was causing a steep decline in the Emirati population, and those circumstances prompted Sheikh Zayed and Sheikh Shakbut to take action. They were impressed by the American mission hospitals that they had seen in Bahrain and Muscat. And so these two sheikhs desired to provide similar healthcare facilities for their people. I want you to hold on to that thought, because it will be important at the end. So the Kennedys came to align in response to this need. John Fulmar, in his history of the evangelical work in this nation, recounts a late night in 1968 when a Bedouin woman was giving birth at Oasis Hospital and the delivery ran into complications. A cesarean delivery was required and the mother urgently needed blood. Carl Sherbeck himself and another hospital staff worker conducted a frantic search at midnight desperate for a donor with the right blood type. Out of 50 persons tested, only the attending physician, Dr. Marion Kennedy herself, and another nurse named Adele were a match for this rare blood type. Mariam, as Dr. Kennedy was affectionately called by the locals, paused the procedure, donated her own blood, then completed the delivery, thus 
preserving the mother's life. It was acts of self-sacrificial, committed love such as these that paved the way for the gospel work that has now taken root here for decades in the UAE. This sacrificial, committed love shown by the Kennedys and their team of early evangelical workers toward the local people fostered a great relationship of mutual trust, respect, and honor between evangelicals and the governing authorities of the UAE that has continued to this day. His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed himself once remarked to the team missionaries, if you had not come, we would not be here. After their first term of five years, the Sherbecks returned to the USA, and when they came back to the newly born nation of the United Arab Emirates in 72, they were redeployed to Abu Dhabi, where Carl would function as a government relations official on behalf of Oasis, while seeking to start a pioneer work in establishing an evangelical church. They came to Abu Dhabi with an intent to minister in the Arabic language as much as they could. They began to work with some expat Arabs, and started a Bible study in Arabic. The Lord, however, had larger plans and was providentially putting a framework in place for the establishment of an international local church. As Carl Scherbeck put it many years later, to be perfectly honest, we didn't know all that was in the Lord's plan. And that's a tremendous understatement. We didn't know what we were getting into. A few families who were working with oil companies and some teachers approached the Sherbecks, requested them to start a Sunday worship gathering in English, and so they began gathering for worship and fellowship in the Sherbecks Villa in Upper Hamdan Street, the beginnings of what would come, become what you see today. In January 1975, they began drafting a statement of faith and a church covenant. They began addressing issues of church governance and the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In January 1976, the congregation voted to call itself the Evangelical Church of Abu Dhabi. In February of that same year, they began regularly taking the Lord's Supper together. And on May 28, 1976, a special meeting was held to adopt this new constitution and church covenant. They approved one another's membership, thus affirming one another's faith. The original covenant constitution was signed by all the members and this group of believers who had been assembling together under the preaching of God's word for four years were now formally covenanted to one another as members of the body of Christ. By December 1976, the congregation began calling itself the Evangelical Community Church of Abu Dhabi, and the rest, as they say, is history. Brothers and sisters, as we look forward to the next 50 years and beyond, what should we learn by looking back to our past, even as we begin to look forward to the future? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus used this parable to illustrate how the kingdom of heaven, inaugurated by his saving work, his death and resurrection, would initially appear small and inconsequential, but would grow and mature into something surprisingly glorious. And the story of ECC 
is the story of how in the providence of God, a particular embassy of this heavenly kingdom began like a mustard seed and has grown into kind of a mature tree. It's the story of how a small gathering of Christians that began inconspicuously has grown by God's gracious providence into a haven for Christ's people from the nations and a bastion for His truth. It's the story of the establishment of a local church that has existed in this nation for half a century as an embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So friends, as we look forward to Jesus building his church over the next 50 years, we've got to ask the question, what is our part? What does he summon us to do? And as, as, as I've spent the better part of this past year, several months talking to various persons, leaders, pioneers, pastors, members who've all served ECC over the years, together with them, I would sum up our call, our commission in one word. Faithfulness. We must be found faithful. And I want to give us this evening four categories of faithfulness that we must aspire towards over the next 50 years by God's grace and for His glory. First, we must be faithful in gospel doctrine. We must be faithful in gospel doctrine. Jesus' promise to build His church in Matthew 16, 18 comes immediately after Peter has made a confession of gospel doctrine. Peter has said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as we read the rest of the New Testament, as we look at the book of Acts and the early apostolic mission, we see that the mission of the church, the building of the church, took place through the proclamation of God's infallible word. We see the apostles proclaim from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is the eternal Son of God, made flesh for our salvation, that He suffered on the cross, died a substitutionary, sacrificial death for sinners, rose again from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, and is exalted on high as Lord and King, even as His kingdom advances through His church. He has revealed Himself to us completely in His Word. He exercises His authority over us by His Word, and He advances His saving mission through this same Word. This is why the first commitment of our membership covenant, which we declare as a church, is this. We will live together under the supreme authority of the triune God, as revealed in the Bible and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, dear friends, in staying faithful to gospel doctrine, we must stay faithful to the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think about the Word of God. As we look back at ECC's history over decades, one thing has remained constant. The Lord has blessed and kept ECC united, thriving, growing, flourishing. He's had His hand upon this church by His Word because of the fidelity of previous generations to this word. A church that departs from the word of God ceases 
to be a church. You know, the missionary Karen George, who came here in 1972 as a school teacher, who was part of that initial group with the Sherbecks, said this. She was here all the way to 2000, by the way. And she said, every time they searched for a pastor in this congregation, some things were preeminent. Statement of faith and doctrine, giftedness in preaching and teaching the Bible. And as Pastor Cam and Pastor John reminded us, the congregation is held responsible for this. You will be held responsible for the doctrine that is taught in this church. Jesus rebukes churches in the book of Revelation, local churches, that tolerate false teaching. Brothers and sisters, we're not all here forever. We're just preparing you for the next guy. And what we want you to know, what I want you to know, that when you look for someone to lead this church, make sure you find someone who is committed to the expositional preaching of Scripture. Someone who will not, not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. When Pastor Cam retired after 25 years of faithful ministry here in Abu Dhabi, he symbolized his retirement with this. I feel honored to hold in my hand today. This was a, a baton or a baton, depending on where you're from, with three words on it, preach the word. And this was passed on by Pastor Cam to the interim pastor at that time, Kevin Penman, who passed it on then to Pastor Jeremy, who has passed it on to me. And I pray that this will be passed on for generations to come. But it's not going to be passed on just by us. It's passed on by you. The church, the congregation is responsible to uphold the truth and God's word preached. So let's pass this on, brothers and sisters, for decades and generations to come in this congregation. You know, as, as we look forward to the next century, as, as I'm already kind of way behind on technology, right? And uh, there's all of these technological developments, and we're told we live in a visual age. And with that visual age, there will be always pressures uh, to do things innovative and new. But remember, the Bible tells us that we live by faith, not by sight. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, one day our faith will become sight, and we will see our God face to face. But until then, we encounter Him through the proclamation of His word, through hearing His word preached. And as we hear this word preached, just as Pastor Cam said, all of Scripture finds its climax in the gospel, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of us are sinners who stand under the judgment of a holy God, our Creator. We rightly deserve His condemnation, for we have failed to acknowledge Him as God. But God, in His grace and mercy, because of His great love, has sent His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, truly God, fully God, fully man, who was the perfect representative for sinners, died the perfect sacrificial death, taking upon Himself the wrath of God, so that whoever repents and trusts in Him will have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You might be here this evening, and you have never trusted in this Christ that we all believe in. If you're wondering why are all these people here from so many different nations, what is it that draws us together? It's this, 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can have the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life tonight by turning from your sin and trusting in Him. And any one of us would, there's 900 people in this room would love to talk with you about that afterwards. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to stay faithful to the Word, not only must the Word go forth from the pulpit, but we must be Word-centered in all that we do. The Word of God must shape our worship, must shape the songs that we sing. They must be rich in theological truth. The Word of God must shape our lives together that we must teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and instruction. The Word of God is sufficient for the work of God. Speaking to ECC in 2009, our founding pastor, Carl Sherbeck, says this so beautifully. He said this, The scriptures, the Bible, doesn't need to be improved. Stay with the Word of God and learn to understand it even more than we do now. We must go back to the Word, center our life and our message on Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, and proclaim the gospel. ECC, we see the grace of God at work here, and we want to encourage you, do not substitute anything for the Word of God and be faithful. That was his commission to us. Still is. But our call to faithfulness doesn't end with gospel proclamation. No, the ministry of gospel proclamation, the proclamation of God's word, creates a gospel people who gather around that word and who are governed by that word in a gospel polity. So that's our second call to faithfulness tonight. We must be faithful in gospel polity. Now, you might be wondering, I, I remember some years ago I was at a conference and they kept talking about church polity and I had a guy from college next to me and after the whole day of talks, he said, uh, Pastor Aubrey, what's polity? <laughs> polity is a structure for how the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, must be governed. And by saying we must be faithful in our polity, I'm saying we must be ordered according to the plan he gives us in his word. You see, after Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, the Lord of the church himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, established a polity for his church. He tells Peter, who's standing there on behalf of the apostles, Jesus tells Peter, I will give you the keys, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus again provides this authority to bind and to loose, to wield the keys of his kingdom in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. And there he gives that authority to local churches, to assembled congregations even as he's giving the church instructions on how to practice church discipline. Brothers and sisters, a call to be faithful in gospel polity is a call to be faithful to God's word as it relates to how we order and structure ourselves as a local church. The Bible prescribes a certain church order, as Pastor John reminded us. We must be biblically ordered. You know, the Christians who gathered around God's word in 1972 and became the Evangelical Community Church were very careful to define their polity, their constitution. They discussed and documented their practice of the ordinances. They documented a church covenant and all committed to it. They even 
carefully laid out a documented process for church membership, and they followed it. As we look forward to the next 50 years, let us ensure that as a congregation, we remain biblically ordered. This begins, as Pastor John said, with submission to the leadership of faithful shepherds. May, they, may, they, may there always be a plurality of shepherds, of elders, of brother pastors in this church who meet the biblical qualifications of elders. And again, this is your responsibility under God to affirm and appoint men who are faithful and will lead this congregation faithfully. Men of godly character who are gifted and able to teach, who are able to protect the church from false teachers and wolves. If, if you are presently or have ever been an elder at ECC, would you please stand for a moment? I just want the, these people to see you. Brothers and sisters, for the next 50 years and beyond, seek to appoint men such as these, brothers such as these, who will shepherd you. God bless you, brothers. Being faithful in gospel polity also means staying committed to one another in the covenant of church membership, to practice meaningful church membership, where we commit to one another to follow Jesus together so that we know who belongs to the community. It means a biblical practice of the ordinances, being committed to maintaining a biblical practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the ordinances that Jesus has given us that make us his distinct people. They are what makes a church a church. And in and through that, it also means guarding the holiness of the church. You see, when Jesus speaks of the authority that he gives the church to bind and to loose, he gives the church authority to practice church discipline. Why? Well, it's to protect the purity of his people. It's to guard the church's witness to his name. It's to seek to pursue and warn and restore those who are straying. These structures are vital for the church's health and the protection of the truth. But those structures don't just exist for the sake of having structures. No, all of these structures, a biblical polity in the wisdom and the plan of God, is there so that they create a community. Biblical polity creates a biblically shaped community that not only preaches Christ, but portrays Him. That gives a living picture to the world of the sacrificial covenant love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, ECC, we must stay faithful in gospel doctrine. We must stay faithful in gospel polity. But third, we must be faithful in gospel community. Faithful in gospel community. You know, the most significant ministry in this church over the last decades has mostly taken place unseen. It's in the everyday, ordinary faithfulness of believers who love the Lord and who love one another, fulfilling the great commandment of loving one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34, 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love 
for one another. The gospel is proclaimed from the pulpit, but the gospel is portrayed all over this city. Think of one significant portrayal of the gospel in room number 526B of Bujil Hospital in the months of December 2020 and January 2021 where our brother Lamuel Bashir was languishing with stomach cancer. And every day, non-stop, 24-7, was visited by members of ECC from many different nationalities and ethnicities, constantly there, ministering to him and his wife, Sarah, praying with them, caring for them. And the doctors and the nurses in that entire floor were wondering, who is this guy who keeps receiving all of these visitors from so many different countries? And it went on right until the end, when as he entered the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and his faith was turned to sight, he was surrounded by members of ECC singing, It is well with my soul. This portrayal of the gospel takes place at the Abu Dhabi Central Morgue, where again and again I've seen members of our congregation be there with other members to weep with those who weep. Friends, this kind of ministry is seen in rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, living as a covenant community with responsibility for one another's lives. You know, we think of Carl Sherbeck, and most people I've talked with don't describe him as a man of great vision or great charisma. No, those who knew and know Carl Sherbeck will tell us that he was and still is a gracious, humble, and patient man. The Sherbecks had a reputation for their ministry of gracious hospitality. They constantly welcomed people from many different nations into their home. Indeed, Sherbeck himself said, Our greatest ability was our availability. You know, just two weeks ago, uh, learning of this event that we're having here, Barbara Sherbeck had some words to share. Looking back to 50 years ago, she said this. She said, the love of people from one country toward people from another country was not easy. They didn't have that kind of mingling before they left their own countries. But they learned to love people that were not like them and to bring others into the church and to be faithful. And as she thinks about our congregation today, she says this. She says, I'm sure the Lord has brought people to Abu Dhabi who know Him and who love Him. And I'm sure they're living together as family, like Christians should. And they're meeting one another's needs and building the church. She says, I long for them to keep loving each other and loving those whom God will bring in. Loving each other as Christians should, as family blood-bought family, not just within our own cultural and ethnic bubbles, but across ethnic and cultural lines as brothers and sisters. And friends, that kind of love is no ordinary thing. The Son of God died, poured out His blood to purchase a people who would love one another that way. And that kind of love does not develop apart from the truth. No, it's love that springs from the truth. And that truth must be spoken in love 
by each of us to one another. We must speak the truth in love to one another and therefore grow one another into greater Christ-likeness. And as the truths of the gospel and the love of God echo throughout our community, we begin to de develop what is called a culture of discipleship, where it's not just the professionals or pastors who are making disciples, but we're all laboring to grow one another in godliness and Christ-likeness, teaching one another to obey all that Jesus commanded. And it's from the work of making disciples in the local church, growing together, helping one another grow as disciples of Jesus, that the work of gospel mission then springs. You see? Because the Christ that we serve is so glorious, His word is so powerful, and the community of love that He creates is so beautiful, that it must be multiplied. And we must propel it outwards through gospel mission. And so that's our fourth call to faithfulness this evening. We must be faithful in gospel doctrine, in gospel polity, in gospel community, and finally, in gospel mission. The Jesus who declared, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, also declared that he gives us authority to bind and to loose, and he also commissions us saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so brothers and sisters, with the authority of the risen Christ himself, we have been commissioned, local churches have been commissioned to further the work of gospel mission. Well, how do we do that? What is the strategy of gospel mission? The strategy of gospel mission is the planting of other local churches, gospel communities that hold up the word of God, just like this. And by God's grace, we've seen that happen in and through ECC over and over. We've seen the planting of New Life Church and Grace Church, Christ Community Telugu Church, Evangelical Covenant Church of Manila, We've sent out our brother, Pastor Anwar Sawaya, to strengthen City Bible Church of Beirut. Most recently, we've seen the covenanting of the Evangelical Church of Aldana, led by Pastor Wiley Jenkins. What a privilege. Lord willing, we'll see Pastor Nigusi Yadete sent out to Addis Ababa to establish a gospel preaching church there. I was just thinking about this a couple of months ago and over the last month. On any given Sunday, there are men who have been affirmed as elders by ECC who have had their training here at ECC, who are preaching the gospel, not just all over this country, but all over the world. Even in some of the most unreached parts of the world, like Northern India, in Uttar Pradesh, where two of our pastoral apprentices proclaim Christ. We want to continue being and becoming what Mark Dever calls a green dot church. What do we mean by a green dot church? If you look at a map of the world, you can look at places where there is no gospel witness, where there are no faithful, healthy, gospel-preaching local churches, and you can mark them out with a red dot. But then in the providence and grace of God, He establishes, in certain places, churches that become a green dot. Whereas believers gather around the Word of God, a culture of discipleship begins to form. 
And this culture of discipleship results in the making of disciples, in the growing up of disciples. And those disciples begin to aspire to eldership. And then we see men be raised up, affirmed, and serving as elders who meet the biblical qualifications and are able to teach God's word. And very soon, a church then continues the work of discipleship and they find themselves with a surplus of such godly gifted men. And then it becomes time to say, you know what? We're going to just send these men out to do this work elsewhere and take over a red dot and turn it into a green dot. And by God's grace, here we are at this global crossroads where East meets West, right in the heart of the Middle East, with people being brought to us from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven. And you know, sometimes we can get casual about, sometimes I hear people say, well, ECC is an expat church, you know, we're here, I'm transient. I want to talk to you uh, about the example of one expat church. In fact, I would think one of the most fruitful expat churches in church history. It was not in the 20th century, but we go back to the 16th century at the time of the Protestant Reformation and the church in Geneva. You see, Protestantism, the proclamation of the gospel, the belief that the Bible is our final authority for all things, the proclamation of justification by faith alone, was outlawed in many parts of the world. All over Europe, you could be put to death for reading the Bible in your native language or by believing, for, for believing that salvation comes by faith alone. But Geneva had religious freedom, you see. And over there, a church grew up. And many people began to flock from other parts of Europe to Geneva as expats to flee persecution. So this was truly, in, in every sense, an expat church. Just like the church in Jerusalem, the first church in Acts chapter 2. And at Geneva, these believers, for the first time in their lives, sat under the expositional preaching, the expository preaching of the Word of God. They'd never heard that before. For the first time in their lives, they experienced covenant community. Many of them, for the first time in their lives, were able to sing together in congregational singing. In other parts of the world, they were put to death for singing as a congregation. And here they experienced all this and their hearts began to burn within them to see this multiplied and go out. You know, right next door was France where it was illegal to be Protestant. You could be put to death. In 1555, there were five churches in France. The church at Geneva began to train up individuals and send them out as missionaries. By 1559, there were 100 churches in France where Protestantism was not permitted. By 1562, there were more than 2,000 churches in France and more than 2 million converts, 10% of the population. The church in Geneva established a training school for pastors in 1559 and they ended up sending missionaries to Poland, to Hungary, to Netherlands, to Italy, all the way to South America, to Brazil. The English Reformation began through believers who had experienced church in Geneva. And the English Reformation is what gave us the English Bible which you are holding in your hands today. Brothers and sisters, may we pray to God and seek His face that not only ECC Abu Dhabi, but the other gospel preaching churches in this nation would become sort of a 21st century Geneva in the Middle East. That we would send out 
gospel proclaimers to the nations for generations to come to combat the plague of false teaching and the prosperity gospel that afflicts many nations around us. To be faithful in gospel mission means to plant churches that proclaim Christ. It means that we partner with other churches in collaboration for mission with other gospel preaching churches like many of the churches represented in this room. May we be faithful to do that. But none of it is going to happen unless it is fueled rightly. What is the fuel of biblical gospel mission? What is it that keeps it going? You see, our Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. He is the sovereign Lord who does the work ultimately. Churches are established by the sovereign grace of God. And if he is sovereign, and if he is the Lord who does all these things, then we must be those who faithfully seek him and cry out to him in prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Gospel mission is fueled by faith-filled prayer. You heard the story from 1990? It wasn't human inventiveness or connectedness or anything that we did that gave us the land that we meet on now. It was the sheer amazing providence of a sovereign God acting in His grace in response to the faith-filled, desperate prayers of His people. May we be committed in mission to fueling that mission through corporate and individual prayer. You know, the most visited landmark in Germany is the Cologne Cathedral. Uh, the Cologne Cathedral, you might know, the construction of this cathedral began in 1248 and wasn't completed until 1880, 632 years later, making it one of the longest under-construction projects in history. Builders spent their entire lives devoted to this work. They lived and worked and built and died without ever seeing the finished edifice. In some ways, that's a good parallel to our lives and ministry here in the UAE, isn't it? The Lord in His providence brings us here. We spend our life and our time serving, building, laboring, not being able to foresee where this is all going. That's what the lives of so many faithful ones who have gone before us has been. Let me tell you about one. In a small and lonely plot of land in Bahrain, on the Arabian Peninsula, lie two small graves with the epitaph, Worthy is the Lamb to receive riches. These are the graves of little Katharina and Ruth Zwemer, the daughters of Samuel and Amy Zwemer, who served as pioneer missionaries to the Arabian Peninsula. Zwemer burned with a passion for the Muslim world to know Christ. He left America for the Middle East in 1890 at the age of 23. Six years later, he married Amy Wilkes, a nurse who was also serving on the mission field. 
They had two daughters who both died very young in 1904 when a wave of dysentery swept through the community. Zwima has been designated by many as the apostle to Islam, having served as an early pioneer of the gospel work that continues in the Arabian Peninsula to this day. And it was Samuel Zwima, listen to this, it was Samuel Zwima, together with his band of missionaries, that founded the American mission hospitals in Bahrain and Muscat. Although Zwima's work was primarily based in Bahrain and later Egypt, he visited the states of the Trucial Coast, which later became the Emirates, on itinerant mission trips in the late 19th and early 20th century. Uh, Zwima visited Sheikh Zayed bin Khalifa al Nahyan in Abu Dhabi and took the first known photograph of the historic Qasr al Hosan Fortress in 1901. He devoted his life to sacrificial ministry and missions in the Arab world, thus becoming an inspiration for the missionary cause in Arabia in the 20th century. He founded many prayer groups in Britain and America that prayed for the evangelization of Arabia. He was a man committed to gospel doctrine. One biography notes, Zwima believed with all his heart in the whole of the Bible as the word of God and in the reformed faith. He was a staunch Protestant who believed with all his heart in the great doctrines of the Reformation. Zwima's passion for mission was above all else rooted in a desire for the glory of God and that the cross of Christ be faithfully preached. He says, Christ's messengers are messengers of the cross and all it signifies or they are not his messengers at all. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the faithful gospel preaching churches of the Lord Jesus Christ that continue to bear fruit across the United Arab Emirates today, across the Arabian Peninsula even, are the legacy of pioneer workers such as Zwima. Without the American mission hospitals in Bahrain and Muscat, we might not have had the Oasis Hospital in our line, those hospitals served as a paradigm for the good work that began here. And all of what you see in this room today is an answer to Zwemer's prayers. But there's still more to be answered. We may not be able to foresee what the Lord will do in Abu Dhabi or in the UAE, even in our lifetimes. But we do know the end result of all God's purposes and design. The finished picture of the church, the final church that Jesus will build. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. John tells us, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And many have remarked that, you know, Sunday morning at ECC is, is, is a foretaste of this. Did you know there will be Emiratis around that throne? Let us pray and labor towards that end. Brothers and sisters, may we remain faithful to this great legacy and faithfully proclaim the message of the cross so that the hope of Zwima and others around him might be fulfilled. Their prayer was this, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. 
that we would see them around the throne. I have other sheep, the Lord Jesus says, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will. Not they might. They will listen to my voice. As we give thanks to the Lord for His faithfulness to us for 50 years and look forward to the next 50, 60, 100 years, we don't know what the Lord will do or how long we have or the complete design of divine providence. But we do know what we're called to do. To be faithful individually and corporately as a church in the days of mustard seed ministry, in weakness, in the day of small things, and never forget that the Lord has placed us here so that the Lord Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, might receive the glory of which he is worthy. Amen.